This episode of Imagineer Podcast is sponsored by WDW Magazine. If you're missing Walt Disney World right now like I am, it's hard to believe I haven't even been to the parks in over six months, WDW Magazine will definitely hit the spot. They are the premier magazine focused on Walt Disney World, available in print or digital. The digital edition gives you instant access to over 80 issues of WDW Magazine, each one containing over 100 pages plus embedded video content. And the print edition contains over 64 glossy pages of pure content mailed right to your mailbox every month with no interior ads. The quality of this magazine, both in terms of visual appeal and written content, is the best in the business and will leave you with hours of magical entertainment. If you can't tell already, I personally subscribe to both the digital and print editions and I am in love with their work. In fact, I was just personally reading a 10-page article all about the Society of Adventure and Explorers, which was in their August issue, and I learned so much, including the fact that there's an Easter egg to the society in the United Kingdom Pavilion at Epcot. I had no idea. Best of all, WDW Magazine is giving Imagineer podcast listeners 10% off a new annual subscription to their digital edition, which I learned will stay with you if you decide to auto-renew. To enroll today and get instant access to over 80 digital issues, simply visit www-magazine.com slash Imagineer Podcast, and by the way, that's a hyphen between the words WDW and Magazine, and use the promo code Imagineer. Even simpler, just look for the hyperlink in the description of this podcast episode, which will take you right to the signup page. Again, type into your browser www-magazine.com slash Imagineer Podcast and use code Imagineer to take 10% off an annual digital subscription. And welcome to the Imagineer Podcast, your unofficial guide to all things Disney. I'm your host, Matthew Krull, and you're listening to episode 86 of the Imagineer Podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of interviewing former Walt Disney Imagineer George Wilkins. For those of you who don't know George by name, you almost certainly know his work. He composed and wrote music for so many classic Disney attractions and area music loops. He wrote themes to things like The Living Seas. Horizons, probably one of my favorite extinct attractions of all time, wrote the music for Sunny Eclipse, working alongside Imagineers like Marty Sklar, and so much more. We talk a lot about his history at Walt Disney Imagineering, some of the work he did prior to joining the Walt Disney Company, and some of the work that he's done since leaving the company. It was a really fun discussion, and I was so honored to have the chance to chat with him on an episode of this show. Of course, at the end of the episode, I'll come back and tell you a little bit more about how you can connect with the Imagineer podcast on all your favorite social media channels, and how you can help to inspire and create the future of this show. So, grab some headphones, pull up your favorite armchair, and enjoy this episode of the Imagineer Podcast.
So as I've definitely spoken about on the podcast before, I am enamored with the music at the Disney parks. I feel like it totally transports us, helps transport us to entirely different worlds. And so I am thrilled and honored to have the privilege to be able to chat with George Wilkins on the show today, who many of you might know his name. If you don't, you certainly know his work, and we're going to be chatting all about it. So welcome to the show, George. How are you? Oh, feeling good. Excellent. I'm, I'm glad to hear it. I, I hope your, your summer is going somewhat well so far. <laughs> it is. Uh, I kind of feel like a shut-in at times, but other than that... <laughs> Where I live, they've really opened up the town, so it's it's not bad at all. With a lot of outdoor restaurants, and uh, so we're not too trapped. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, it's a different world these days, but um, as long as everybody's safe and healthy, that's what yeah. uh, that what's matter the most. Um, so I, I'm I'm really again thrilled to have you on the show. I for as long as I've been alive, for the most part, you know, I've been going to Disney <laughs> parks, and I've I've been at least aware of your work. It was only when I got older that I do put the name to the work. Um, but I grew up with, uh, you know, I, Horizons, for example, is one of my favorite attractions from when I was a kid, and um, still to this day have fond memories of the attraction, which we'll get to. I feel like we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but before we get into your career at um, Wet Enterprises, Walt Disney Imagineering, I want to learn a little bit more about what first even interested you in pursuing a career in music. Ah, yes. Well, let's see. When I was a kid, when I was in grade school, I sang... Well, probably when I was around seven years old or eight years old, I sang God Bless America in the hallway of our grade school. And the guy came up to me and uh, asked if I would like to join the St. Paul's Cathedral Boys Choir downtown Detroit. And I did. And that guy was Tom Skerritt, by the way, who's a pretty well-known actor. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so I joined the choir. I ended up becoming the boy soloist for about two years. And from there, I, uh, when, I, when my voice changed, I, I went into other choirs and en- ended up at WJR in Detroit uh, called Make Way for Youth. And in that group, I put together a vocal group uh, called the Spellbinders. And we did a five-day-a-week radio show. And uh, and from there, that, that group, uh, we went to New York and started working in New York and became the Page Five, which was Patty Page's vocal group. And we did a million television shows with her. And uh, from there, I went over and we took over the Como show for a summer, and I became a choral director and, and the arranger for the show. And that's really you know, talk about the beginning of my career. That was it. Actually, from there, I got drafted uh, in 1956 and went went into the U.S. Army Band in Washington, D.C. And that's where I really started becoming an arranger was with that. And I got out of that and went to New York and uh, got into the jingle business. 
and wrote jingles up until 64 until I moved to California. Any jingles we would remember? Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> if I could remember them. Uh, uh, J-O-S-T-E-S-S. The Little Bake Shop. Oh, that's awesome. I think, I think that was one of the more popular ones. That's awesome. We did TWA, but New York, of course, was all national jingles. So uh, I was in New York until 64 doing jingles. And I also worked with uh, Rankin Bass Productions. And we did the, the original uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, which is still plays every, every Christmas. And uh, I did a couple of movies with them. Uh, uh, one, I just wrote the songs, and uh, the next one I did the score. And uh, then I moved to, I met Henry Mancini and moved to California and did an album with him and stayed in California. Yeah, that's certainly a, a lot of places too, going from uh, Detroit, um, you know, over to uh, eventually New York and in California, sort of the uh, middle uh, East Coast and West Coast of the uh, of the U.S. And, yeah, uh, that was, <clears throat> uh, we used to do the, I, I, in the jingle company I belong with, we used to produce the Firestone Christmas albums. And uh, I was a creative director on, I think, three or four of them. And uh, we used Julie Andrews and the Young Americans and Vic Damone and some wall, you know, Hollywood people on our this last one that I did. And I came out here with Irwin Costell and did all the vocal arranging and, you know, picked material and, and produced the album out in California. And that's when I met Mancini and a bunch of different people. And I suggested an album idea to Hank. And uh, I ended up recording an album called uh, Brothers Go to Mothers and Others with a vocal group called Group One. And that really was the start of my career in uh, California. Yeah. So, I mean, and and definitely some big names you mentioned there, not only uh, Julie Andrews and Henry Mancini, but even Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and a lot of popular, uh, popular, you know, popular names that a lot of people today would even recognize. I, I still get residuals for that. Wow, and I also did. I also did. Uh, I did Peter Pan with the old Silver Shard, and uh, who was the star of that? Anyway, I still get residuals for that. I I got. I have on my wall hanging a check for thirty eight cents that was sent to me from AFTRA for that. Wow, and I must have done that in nineteen fifty four or something like that. So. That's I'm one of the funny. older guys. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I like to think of it as one of the originals. <laughs> it's. Uh, <laughs> it's a better, definitely a better way to put it. The. Uh, I say the same thing about the the first generation. The first generation Imagineers are not the older Imagineers. They're the the originals. The first generation yeah. of Imagineering. So speaking of which, how did the gig with Walt Disney Imagineering or Wet Enterprises, I should say, when did that first? Uh, how did that come call- about? I got a call from Buddy Baker, who I had never met, and he called me up to do some vocal arranging for the land pavilion, and uh, I had been recommended by somebody, and so I put together a group and did the recording and everything, and later on he called me and wanted to know if I uh, 
wanted to come over, you know, come over and join him as uh, an associate at Disney, which I initially said no to, <laughs> which, I'm, which I was uh, a friend of mine said, what are you crazy? You know, so I, anyway, I called him back. <laughs> but what, what had happened is that Buddy, who was one of Walt's good friends and good, you know, one of the original originals, and Buddy had, had been in a car accident and was laying in the hospital, and Bill Miller, who was then president of Disney, went to visit him and, and said, and by the way, uh, Buddy, does anybody know what you know? And Buddy said, I doubt it. And, and Bill Miller said, well, get someone. Because Buddy had done all the music for, for uh, uh, Disneyland, you know, for the, the theme parks. So he knew where all the bodies were buried and where all the tracks were. And so uh, I, I kind of became responsible for checking out the parks and making sure all the tracks were working in their different locations. And that's where I started. And then the, uh, he took off to do uh, the Fox and the Hounds in, in England. And all of a sudden, I was head of the music department. <laughs> and we were, had just started uh, Epcot, and we had just started uh, the Tokyo Disneyland. And uh, I ended up doing a score for... Uh, one of the opening parts of the uh, Tokyo Disneyland. I did a film, and by the time he got back, and then they and they 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 ended up throwing that score out, and he had to go back to England and redo it. So I had about four or five months before he he and I ever started working together, really. So anyway, that's how I came ensconced at Disney. Well, that's great, and uh, it, it's. I'm glad your friends <laughs> helped you to decide to go to accept the job offer at Disney. Well, because, he, said, yeah. he said, George, he said, just think you could do the next Bambi. <laughs> said, yeah, man. <laughs> Count me in. It's true. We wouldn't have had the music we have today without that uh, decision to do it. So um, as a fan, I appreciate that for sure. Uh, you know, Buddy Baker is obviously another name that, a lot of Disney fans know, especially those who know the music of the the parks and the movies. And I imagine that coming from the background that you had, jumping into a role of essentially designing and creating music for a park environment. And I spoke about this a little bit with um, Russell Brower as well, that there are, I feel like some differences to, to building a, a park, um, you know, ambient park music um, or a, 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 a song particularly for an attraction compared to, a, a, you know, a jingle or um, a, a song you would hear on the radio. Um, do you remember sort of what that initial experience was like? Did you feel well, like there was a, yeah, a learning curve? One of, or, uh, yeah. one of the first writing projects I did was with the uh, Sherman Brothers, and I did the first Imagination Pavilion with them. Well, I say with them. They wrote, the, they wrote a song, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, they, and, and they disappeared, and I did the ride, which was about, I don't know, 30 minutes of music or something. Right. And I, I did their song inside out, outside in, backwards, forwards, upside down. And the I... The thing that I realized uh, along the way was that 
in many cases, I was writing music that had to go eight feet per second. <laughs> so if you were in a the vehicle you're in passes a, a set at X amount of speed. So whatever you write, uh, you kind of have to tell that story within that within that space of time. And I, again, you're you're you know you're dealing with time, so that's not so much different than movies or anything else. But uh, I had uh, the, in that particular show, I had a particular problem in that when you when you entered the imagination, when you, when you first entered the, uh, the the ride area, there was music playing in the exit area, which was just you know ten feet over a wall on the other side. So whatever I wrote for the entrance, I had to not write the same thing, but I had to write something that would work with the opening, you know, chord-wise and tempo-wise, so it wouldn't mash. And uh, so that was, that was uh, Buddy helped me on that. That was, uh, that was tricky. But uh, I had a lot of fun. I did a lot of ex experimenting uh, on that particular ride. That was a, a great ride. And I did the first one, and somewhere along the line, after I left, they changed the ride. And evidently, there was a kind of an uproar about what happened to some of those characters. And uh, I got pulled back in and did the, uh, a new one, which I doubt. I, they've probably changed it again by now. But I did, uh, out of the first three, I did two of them. So... You did the best too. I'll agree. And at the, believe it or not, the, the third one is still around, that third version. Really? But it is. I, I remember the first version. I remember the second version. I remember, obviously remember the third version. It's the most yeah. recent. But um, the second one is the one that obviously it was around for the shortest period of time, which is part of the reason. But also the um, the changes they made to the second one, yeah, there was definitely a uh, an uproar um, with the original changes, but uh, the first and the third, you can tell that it was, I mean, if it wasn't written by the same person, it was certainly someone who took full inspiration from the original version. So yeah, well, that's, that's good to know. Yeah. Um, well, I, you know, down the, the road from, or not even down the road, right across the park from imagination. Imagination is, is one of the attractions I remember most growing up, but I, I think a lot of people, myself included, have very fond memories of Horizons, which was not necessarily an opening day attraction. It opened a year after Epcot opened, but um, was there for almost about 16 years of the park's history. It's amazing it's been it was, gone longer than that. I think it was two years after. Yeah, I think. I, yeah you're right. It was a little bit farther off. Um, sometimes I get my dates confused. But uh, do, you, do you recall uh, working on Horizons? Very much. Oh yeah. What One was that experience favorite, like? Well, it was my favorite project. Uh, that's an interesting story. If you want to hear it, I'd uh, love to hear it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was working at that point in time when when I first. What happened was uh, I got a call from Randy Bright to take the song that the Sherman brothers had written, which I can't remember the name of right now, and do a recording, a big recording on it. So I used a big orchestra, and I brought in a friend of mine, uh, Michelle Bell, who had just done Old Man River on Broadway. 
and uh, brought him in and, and we did a big recording and brought it into this meeting and all the people from General Electric were there and Disney and and uh, so we played it and everybody thought it was wonderful and loved it except Randy said I don't like that song <laughs> and everybody said what what do you mean you don't like that we've been using that for like three years and da 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 he says it's too Disney he says it's too much like uh, Disney you know like Disneyland and Donald Duck and all that and he said George he said why don't you try and write something over the weekend and so I wrote uh the tomorrow, the you know, the, the horizons theme over the weekend came in and played it for for the exact same group of people, <laughs> and uh, they bought it, and uh, off we went. The problem was that I was working with the Sherman Brothers right at that time on uh, another show. I think it was Kodak. I think I was working with them on, and then I had to tell them <laughs> that I just bounced them off their the horizon show. They took it. I mean, they had about eight of the shows, so they didn't really care. <laughs> but um, that was a wonderful experience, and I got to do all of it. Uh, I, I used John Debney here and there on on some things, and used Richard Bellis on the uh, all the ending of the ride, where it goes. You can take your choice. You know how you want to come home, underwater, over, you know, whatever. But the rest of it, uh, you know, I did and orchestrated, and it was a lot of fun. The, I think there's some beautiful music in that. There's just some great. I still get, uh, there was a scene where you're going, like, actually through space, and you come up to this uh, robot, in, in, not robot. Uh, I think it's a space station, right? It's a space station. Yeah. Thank you. I'm having trouble here. Space <laughs> okay. station and space. But going up there to, and seeing that thing just floating in the sky, man, and that music that was playing, I mean, I got my hair stood on end every time I got there. <laughs> oh, it's wild. My hairs are standing on end just thinking about it now. Yeah. I, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I, great. Yeah. It was, it was really pretty. Yeah, I I love the score. I think that's part of what the appeal for the attraction was. It's a lot of things. It's the message. It's the um, the ride system. The 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 overall tone and optimism. There's a lot that's in that attraction that makes it so memorable. But the yeah. music is certainly one thing. And I'm I'm very impressed that you wrote that it, really an iconic, memorable song over the weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, it was funny because uh, they had a uh, we had an upright piano, so that sat up against a wall, right? And then there was a, a long conference table in the middle of the room. So I had to sit at this piano and play, which I'm I'm not a great piano player, and sing the song. And I'm facing the wall. Of course, everyone's behind me, you know, and in back of me. And I kept trying to play and turn around and look at them and say, yeah, it was just, uh, it was really funny. And, and one of the guys from General Electric, uh, Dave Fink, said to me after, he said, nice dog and pony show. <laughs> 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 and unbeknownst to me, he had, he had gotten, a, he was a tuba player and had played on Broadway for years. So, uh, you know, I thought I was, talking to a bunch of, uh, you know, accountants. And, 
or he was a Juilliard major. So anyway, he and I became good friends out over that project. Good guy. Yeah, that's terrific. He ended up actually becoming a research and development for Disney. He left, he left General Electric after that and came to Disney, Imagineering. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I, you know, you, you brought up a point earlier and there's a, a few ways we could go with this, but, um, you know, you talk about riding horizons and, and hearing the music. Do you, was, do you remember the, I guess, first time you heard your music in the parks? Was it horizons or was there something else that, uh, preceded that? You mean, uh, that I heard, had written yeah. on and heard? Yeah, something that you you personally wrote, I should say, um, and then got to experience in a Disney park with other guests around you. Oh, oh, yeah. I I just can't think of all of them. Oh, I know. It's probably <laughs> it's got to be a time. Yeah, I I, uh, I did the um, I did the whole opening when you walk through the opening, I, the whole medley of all the different themes, and I had done. I used a bunch of different arrangers for all the different themes. And uh, I had done uh, American Adventure, that America, da, 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 that I love one. that song. And, yeah. and uh, the first time I went to, to Epcot, and it was, at, it was just dusk, and I walked in and they were playing that. <laughs> Choked me up. Then I've done, you know, I did a lot of things that nobody knows about. Like uh, I did shows like Backstage Magic, and uh, which was about their computer system. And I did a did another one that was a question where people had to push buttons. And uh, you probably know what that is. I'm I wrote it. I wrote it in five four, which is was Buddy Baker thought was was not a fan of mine on that. <laughs> I had I had done you know was the main theme, and uh, everybody went whoa is crazy you know yeah <laughs> doesn't sound like the Sherman Brothers so <laughs> so but by the way the Sherman Brothers are dear dear people you know I loved them they, they loved me I loved them I was their private orchestrator for. <laughs> seemed like years i did i did a lot of their stuff i'm glad you actually brought that up because that was the other question i was going to ask was what it was like to work with them and i know that they had done so much with waltz and they have obviously songs that have also stood the test of time <laughs> going back to yeah I, I, well i did ago. so i just i'm looking behind me here i'm uh I did uh, Pooh's Honey Hunt with them for Japan. I did uh, Imagination Pavilion. I did the Kodak Pavilion. I, I, I did all the demo work on uh, Magic Journeys. And, I, and one other, I can't think of what it is. And Dick, you know, was, you know, he only plays in, he only plays in the black keys. <laughs> <laughs> Everything he wrote was on the black keys. So it was always in G flat or, you know, D flat or something. Well, it was weird. <laughs> I, was, I, I changed everything. And we got along great, you know, because I, I took many liberties with their stuff, especially, uh, like, like I said, in the Imagination Pavilion. I, I wrote uh, 
against their song. Again, I wrote uh, when you get into where he's playing the organ. I say I can't if it's Dreamfinder. Yes, someone's I... playing this big, massive organ, and I wrote uh, a whole counterpiece to that in a minor key against their song. Then the re then we did a whole uh, there was a slow motion piece of a, of a water drop that was a, I think it, can't remember what that was within that ride and uh, th that was their favorite part of the whole <laughs> score and they hadn't written it no. so anyway I just thought they were a great guy I'm, I feel so lucky to have worked with them and uh, I'm so sorry Bob had to die you know, yeah he did but well, I, you know, you've go, we could go down the list of every single one of the things you've worked on, which I, I know would take a long time because you've worked on so much. But another piece that stands out to me just because of its, it being a little different than some of the other work at, uh, at Disney is working on Kitchen Cabaret. Because there you're taking, um, and, and, and I know, you know that evolved into Food Rocks, which became more parody of existing Tunes. No, that yeah, no. Buddy Baker wrote. Uh, Buddy Baker and Exitentio wrote those songs, and I just came in and did the vocal arranging, and then uh, I produced the uh, I produced the vocals, and uh, Scott Hennessy I think did the lyrics, and then I also did the the next show that went down there that would what was Food Rocks, which was another show. I don't know if you remember that. I, I do. I remember I that show we pretty well. <laughs> huh? I remember that show pretty well, actually. Yeah. But so, yeah, I had, uh, that's, you know, one of the first things. And then I wrote, uh, I had to write the, uh, I, I, it was funny. I had to do an hour's worth of Dixieland in, in front of that kitchen cabaret show, which area music out in front. That's right. Why it was why it was Disney Dixie? I don't know. <laughs> I, honestly, God, don't know. I thought about that more than once. Um, but I had so I did all these arrangements. You know, did, did them all. It took me like two or three weeks to to write an hour's worth of that stuff. And I got all my guys came from the uh, uh, it's a Lawrence Welk, and and in his band. He had the Bob Crosby Bobcats. Most of those, most of the players that had been in the Bob, Bob Crosby Bobcats, and they were Dixie players, you know. That was a Dixieland band. So they came into the studio, right? We all met. I'd never met any of them before. And we pulled out the first arrangement, and we played it. And they said, uh, you know, we used to do this all the time. You want to hear our version? I said, yeah. <laughs> Bang, off we went. <laughs> we, we ended up taking everything I wrote and threw it out the door. They did the, the whole hour. I think we did the whole hour in about two hours. And so they were Amazing. Great. Yeah, that was fun. I learned a lot that day real quick. <laughs> <laughs> well, another piece that, um, or another attraction, I suppose, is that I remember and is still around as well um you know some of the things we're talking about eventually did get replaced some are still around but one of the things that has been around for quite a while now is over at the uh, cosmic ray starlight cafe you can enjoy the 
sounds of sunny, sunny eclipse. Sunny eclipse. <laughs> um, I have to say, like my my family and I, whenever we went to Magic Kingdom when I was younger, we would always go to Cosmic Rays, and I, I think because of Sunny Eclipse, it, the food was was the, uh, you know almost the same you could have gotten at, at other locations at the park. But yeah. Sunny made that special, and the songs are. Um, they're hilarious. Like they're, they're they're so much fun to listen to. Do you remember what it was like composing for uh, for Sunny? Oh, that was fun. I you know I worked with one of my favorite people. I can actually Kevin Rafferty and I wrote that show, and uh, how that started. I think Marty Scalar was his idea is to take a bunch of songs, how high the moon, and change the lyrics and do how low the earth, you know, and juxtapose around uh, standard songs and do do the same thing that a guy who comes from outer space as a lounge singer and do the show. And so he presented it to us and to Kevin and I, and uh, then they started looking up what it was going to cost uh, publishing-wise. <laughs> At that point, they said, no. Let's just write one. So he and I wrote that. And uh, that was a lot of fun because uh, I, I have all the songs right here in front of me. I just, uh, there's a couple of songs, Gravity and Out in Space. And then, uh, did you, uh, do you know the show? You, obviously. You, you yeah, I, with, uh, I know the show. I, I'm not sure I could recite all the lyrics, but I do have the song list in front of me. So you know yeah, is, a, is, is one that I remember very well. Bright yeah, Little Star, Space I think Angels. Is. Space Angels. Soup, soup and Salad. <laughs> yeah. Bright Little Star, which is a good little tune, by the way. It is. That Planetary. was on the official album for a while. It was? Yeah, and yeah the Walt Disney World uh, official album. We would. It played, I think there were, it was a CD that had maybe... 12, 15 songs on it, and that was one of uh-huh. them. Yeah, and then Out of Space was a, like a, kind of a bossa thing. Yes. So we had a ball doing that, and I did that all in my, uh, in my studio. And so that's all MIDI, except uh, for some of the keyboard stuff. And uh, Cal David is the singer, and he, I, I, I had known Cal for years, great great singer and uh i said you want to be a lounge singer from outer space he said that man so <laughs> off we went and but, i love, I sunny love eclipse, in, case, in case you don't know sunny eclipse was a character in tokyo disneyland and he had a pizza parlor he he made pizzas and he, uh at, the, at the, that park, I've seen it's a one of those long machines, you know, where the dough pops in here and it comes up there and it goes through this tube, and you know, and uh, probably about thirty feet long, and he he operates it, and that's where that character came from. And I guess they did that because they could just take that character and redress it and make it, and then build that organ, you know, build the. Uh, I can't think of what that. He's got like a space organ of some kind. Yeah, I think it's well, called. <laughs> I, I mean, we had a name for it, but uh, funny. I just had an interview with somebody else who had. There used to be a guy uh, that had uh, uh, that that kind of an instrument. Oh wow! And and it was MIDI. I can't have Richard. Uh, anyway, 
he goes, hey, it's raining cats and dogs. And all of a sudden, he'd hit a, you know, hit a note and barf, barf, yeah, and hear barfing <laughs> and meowing and everything. So he, he's like one of the first guys that had kind of that MIDI thing, you know, psyched out. And uh, so when we went to do Sunny Eclipse, that, that was the idea, to use something like that, that he could, could be anything. So he plays his own applause and cheering and, you know, that's all on that organ. That's right. That's a brilliant idea too. Yeah. And you're right about the, I, I think I had, I had seen it at some point and totally forgot that he came from the, the animatronic or the, the character came from Tokyo Disney. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah. Which no, is a show that I did there. Uh, I, that's one of, that's another show I did, but it was, it seemed like it was Italian. <laughs> it was Italian. So I, I'm again, like there's, there's a lot that you've worked on and, um, th- are there any in particular that, uh, besides the ones that we've, we've gone through that stand out as something you remember or, uh, you know, was, was a, I know you said horizons is your favorite. Were there any, any that stand out as, as ones you really enjoyed working on? Uh, you know, the, there's, there's a thing in, that was in the, um, uh... Energy was it the energy pavilion or was it the where we had moving sounds? Well, so when you were in the waiting line, entrance line, a train would come through and from left to right. Um, and I did all the I did all that arranging and, and vocal arranging. Uh, I wish I could remember the tune now, but that was fun. That was all you know, sound effects. And then I did all kinds of different groups. I did the high lows and then the skylarks and, the, you know, men's quartets and women's sextets. And so it was, that was a fun project. That was an hour's worth of stuff too. I think I, what was, what was the other pavilion that I'm tra- traveling pavilion? There was, uh, that was, yeah, that would have been uh, the world of motion. More, you know, world motion. That was it. Yes. That, and so that, that was the cue line music. And, you know, and I, uh, when you say I did a lot of things, I would jump in and do a cue here and a cue there. I'm in, I think I'm in every pavilion some way or another. The Seas Pavilion, uh, I did. That's what Russell, Russell did all the, uh, did all the area music for that. That's right. He with, mentioned with the whales. Me. Huh. He mentioned to me the uh, the fact that that was his first project was you had written right. the, the main theme of it and then he extended it into an hour long loop. Yeah, I, you know I worked with Russell in two different places. <laughs> <laughs> that in Tokyo probably. Well, no, I I did all the Teddy Ruxman music. Oh, that's right. And uh, Russell uh, did all the sound effects on that. And I think it was after that that he went back to Disney and became a music guy. I ended up doing um, two or three things for him. I ended up going to uh, England for him and did all the area music for uh, an Italian space in Japan. Other fun shows where I did all the Country Bear stuff. And we wrote a lot of you know new stuff for that. 
doing the country bear jamboree is, was a real eye-opener because you, you write a tune, you know, and you're going, ba 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 ja chicka chicka jang chicka chicka da yaka chicka and the and the characters are going uh duh. they're moving it. they're in they're in slow motion and you got a tempo you chuck you chuck you chuck you know going on and that always blew my mind you know the tempo's going 90 miles an hour and they're going 10 miles an hour funny i'm looking up up by my wall here do you know exitensio do you know his name i yeah i definitely know his name i mean he was yeah. He had written the the lyrics to Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, well, he uh, he was the only one for many many years that Walt allowed to draw Mickey. He was an artist, and uh, he did three of me, and I, I have them on my wall. I'm so proud that I had to have those. Uh, I did a concert in '84, and he did my. He's got. There's a picture of me sitting at the piano, playing the piano, yeah, but, but real comical. And uh, he's a great guy. Wonderful man. But that, that was when joining Disney, there were so many talented people. I mean, to think that I had John Debney as my assistant is pretty <laughs> wild. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, but really. And he, I remember the day uh, he came in and said he was leaving because... He, you know, they kind of, they didn't actually actually fire him, but they kind of fired him. And I said, John, this is going to be the best thing for your career ever, is getting out of here. And the next thing I know, he won the Academy Award, so not bad. Not bad at all. He, he was a great, great orchestrator. And, I mean, he helped me do the whole, the center of the Horizons Pavilion, all the, uh, Rockets taken off and the flyover of New York and everything. He was wonderful. Definitely a, a great, uh, a great composer. Yeah, well, he's, you know, he's he's one of the guys. I would say he and Williams and Horner. Horner died, but you know, certainly they're, they're the heavyweights now. They sure are. Yeah, and Buddy, Buddy didn't really never gave him a chance, you know. He, but he, his dad, John's father, had worked for Disney and was a good friend of Walt's and everything, and that's why John, John hung around Disney his whole life, you know. And uh, I don't think Buddy, you know, Buddy, didn't particularly like that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, well, how he had gotten there. Yeah. Know? So. Well, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of obviously very talented people that work there and it's great. You get to, to work with so many that that's a lot of, um, you know, Disney fans even know, I yeah. guess after, after, uh, all the work that you had did, um, what was it like to, to leave Imagineering? Well, it was worth, cause I, uh, you know, I was st I was actually staff composer for Disney Pictures, and I got bor borrowed by Imagineering. Basically, is how it worked. So my officers were over at the studio, which I never went in because I was always over at Imagineering. Right. And uh, and so at some point, um, I. I left in, uh, I started in 79 and I gave them notice in 
85. And I started working on uh, Teddy Ruxpin. And kind of like in the middle of that, I got called back to Disney to do a freelance thing. And I ended up being back at Disney <laughs> more than I had when I was working there <laughs> as a, you know, as a freelance. And so uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't need an office and I had my own studio and, and uh, I did a lot of the work out of my own studio and a lot of work I, uh, you know, I recorded that on stage A at Disney. That was the, the big thing coming, you know, from where I had come from, which was, I, I used to do, uh, produce Vegas shows and, you know, work in that capacity uh, with orchestras. And they, they were usually like, you know, 20 piece orchestras if, at the most. And all of a sudden I'm standing in front of a 60 piece orchestra <laughs> or as many as I wanted. <laughs> the, one of the first things I did, I worked on as big show. Can't think, of, can't think, I'll think of it in the middle. And uh, had a big orchestra. Uh, probably 53 or 54 guys and they had they decided to use um, Imagineering's uh, digital machines and brought those digital machines over to the studio which are on, on the lot then stage A well that's a union stage A's union Dis, uh, um, Imagineering's non-union so they wouldn't let the guy who knew how to run the machines touch the machines while the, the guys at Disney <laughs> tried to figure out. They had I walked in and they had a fan with dry ice blowing through these two machines, trying to get them to work. Wow! You know, and I had fifty-two guys running around on on the outside, you know, and uh, so I'd bring them in every you know, 15 minutes or so, and we'd rehearse all the cues, and then they'd go running around again. <laughs> and I'll never forget, and I had just finished the movie of the week, that my whole budget for that movie of the week might have been $30,000 for orchestra, writing, copying, studio, everything, right? And this this one session was costing like $37,000. Wow. And... I remember my boss sticking his head in the door because they couldn't operate these machines. And the guy who knew how to operate them was sitting 20 feet away and they wouldn't talk to him. And uh, so I remember my boss sticking his head in the door to tell him, he said, who can make it tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> That's the funniest line I ever heard. <laughs> Try to get 52 of the major players in town to go, you know, back into the same room tomorrow. Was, yeah. So that was my opening date at Disney. And I'm, I still can't remember what it was for, but it was a big one. And I had a lot of fun. I learned a lot. Uh, not many people get that opportunity to uh, just be able to name out any kind of an orchestra they want. Uh, which was the case because, but, but you know, Disney used to have a, how, their own orchestra. These guys were there eight hours a day, if you used them or not. And uh, so when I got there, I didn't know anything about that. And uh, I, the first thing I got, I talked to Buddy about the, you know, what kind of an orchestra. He said, I don't, just, just write something and we'll figure that out later. And, you know, 
meantime, we booked like a, you know, we booked 25 guys for a certain day and everything. And I may have used 15 of them, you know. And uh, so that took a while to get used to. They also won $800,000 over budget for. Oh, wow. You know, so <laughs> for Epcot, yeah. It was going to cost a, a million or uh, a, a billion or 800, 800 million. That was it. And I think it went to uh, a billion four before it was over with. That definitely commonly happened at Disney. And, and, yeah, and they didn't have to go to the bank either, man. They just took it out of the drawer. <laughs> <laughs> they'd, they'd release Bambi and bang, they'd have another you know, couple million in the bank. That's right. Yeah, you know. that, by that time, they had uh, certainly a lot of cash flow. Yeah. So that was a great experience. Just uh, I, I, I'm one of those fortunate people. I've never had anything turned down. Everything I did was gold. So amazing i it's uh it speaks to your talent for sure because it's not <laughs> it's, it's not common speaks to something <laughs> some someone liked you at the very least it was uh, yeah right, but yeah i mean right. it, the fact that that's disney you know the fans the people who went to the parks um the fact that that we also love all this music i think is a, a testament to um to your ability to kind of to to make something so memorable and so beloved um, by so many people, so that's uh, well, thank definitely you. speaks that's, to your talents. <laughs> that's nice to know. It is nice to know. Every once in a while, I meet somebody that uh, I, my wife was working for uh, uh, a fueling company, uh, air, you know, air, air fuel and. She had to go to a convention in Disney in, in uh, Vegas, and so her boss parked his car in our garage, and I drove him over to the airport and picked him up on you know when they came back. And on the way back, he says to me, he says, uh, "I get in the car with him." And he said, uh, "He said, hey, uh, your wife tells me you write tunes for Disney," and I go, "Yeah." He says, uh, "You have anything to do with? You've just been wishing about going fishing and you're still on the shore." And, which is the opening song for uh, the uh, Bear Band Jamboree, their right. summer vacation thing, right? And I had written, you know, I, I wrote the lyrics and the song and the whole thing. And uh, and he said, is there any chance I could get a copy of that? And I said, sure, I'd send you a copy. And I got home with every intention of sending him a copy of that. And I found the Japanese version that I had done in Japan. So, <laughs> So I sent them that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a surprise. Right now, he's, the, he's the only person in the world that has the Japanese version <laughs> of, of uh, Bear Man Jamboree. I have to say <laughs> that is unique for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, Great Outdoors is a great song, though. Very memorable. I, I guess for anyone who is interested in pursuing a, a similar career, it's changed, the field has changed a bit, but um, you know, whether that's looking to pursue writing music at Walt Disney Imagineering or with films or TV, anything in that genre, I guess what advice would you offer to, to folks looking to pursue that? Field? You know, I, I wish I, uh, I have a good friend, Richard Bellis, who is the, uh, one of the gurus on 
developing music for, you know, for film, for composers, the emerging composer. He wrote a book, it's become the Bible, you know, for, for students. Never having been a student, <laughs> I came up through, uh, you know, teaching myself. Right. Um, I don't know. I do not know how you do it now. I, I know that you, uh, I know guys that have uh, written cues, movie cues, say, you know, that fit certain, and they'll, you know, with video now, they can take a, a video and take the sound off and do their own music to it and use that as a, uh, a demo. And many of them have gone to Europe and used big orchestras to do that and create a reel of music and then try and get it around to all these different producers. And I must say there's, there's a, so much television production now. Uh, I'm, I'm realizing just sitting around watching all these different series that are on TV that just amazing. They all use music and a lot of it's orchestra. So somehow you got to latch on to a, a producer director and other than that, I don't know, write a hit record, <laughs> get it on the internet. I don't know. <laughs> That's definitely one way to do it. Um, I, I've, writ I've written a lot of music since I've been, you know, kind of retired. I've written probably 40 songs, but I just do it for my own amazement. And I'm, I've got my own studio and everything, so I'm able to... You know, record. I just finished a thing actually for uh, for a guy who was a fan of uh, of, of uh, Horizons, as a matter of fact. And he's got a uh, a uh, show on the internet. Uh, he's he's Doctor Geek, and I I can't remember the name of the show, but he actually commissioned me to write a theme. Wow! So I just I just finished that. I just I just uh, finished it a couple of weeks ago. It took me a long time because I couldn't bring any singers into my studio. For, you know, <laughs> That's true. Four or five months. So yeah. Somebody well, asked. There's a Horizons group uh, of guys on, you know, on f Facebook, I guess. And uh, somebody mentioned that I had done the music, and all of a sudden I got all these beautiful, I mean, wonderful little thank yous and i didn't i didn't realize you know how many people knew the, knew this music it's it surprises me i think ever since the at the proliferation of the internet there's been a, yeah. a, a this um you know newfound knowledge i don't think before then i would have known but you know except for maybe yeah, reading some sure. credits who wrote the music but uh since the <laughs> The uh, you know Disney fans took to the internet and started spreading and sharing knowledge. It has become more known of who did what. Um, right. So that's uh, that's probably the reason why. I love that you're still composing. By the way, you should. I know you do it for uh, for sort of just the pleasure of writing music, but you should uh, consider putting stuff up on YouTube if you don't already. <laughs> I'm sure a lot I of people don't. love that. I you know I'm uh, I'm. Got, I've been involved with Teddy Ruxman for years. I did wrote 150 songs for him. Wow! And and he keeps coming back. You know, he's one of those things that doesn't die. And uh, up to th this year, I had been busy. Uh, uh, they reissued the toy a couple of years ago, a, 
a toy company. It, he, you know, he's been with like about five different toy companies now, and they keep reissuing. And every time they reissue, I have to re mix all the music and you know remix the shows and take out things and put new things in and everything. So that has kind of kept me in the studio working, but at the other end of it, I'll write. And I'm not writing film music. I'm writing songs and lyrics. And uh, I guess I'm, a, I'm, you know, I started as a singer. I guess I'm still a singer, you know, except when I try to sing. <laughs> Terrible. Either way. I hire singers now, huh? Either way, I, I'm sure a lot of people would still enjoy listening to it. Well, I'll send you some. Oh yes, please do. I'll um, okay. I'll have to. Uh, I'll, I'll at least be uh, be checking it out. So uh, before okay. we before we uh, you know officially wrap, are there uh, any any particular other stories you want to share? Or anything else that uh, comes to mind from uh, from your years at Disney? Ah. Uh-huh. Not really, other than it was, a, as I said, you know, for a guy like me, uh, it, was a, it was a break of a lifetime. Uh, I didn't realize it when I took it. I was, and I, because I was busy then. Uh, myself, Richard Bellis and I had formed a production group, and Bernie Brillstein was our manager. And we were really, really busy uh, doing, we were doing movies of the week for ABC and producing acts for Vegas, you know. So when when I got this Disney call, it was really, uh, like I told you, I said no because I was so busy doing, right. you know, this other stuff that I didn't want to lose it and I didn't know what Disney meant or anything. And then when I finally said yes and walked into my that first date where I had a 52-piece orchestra that they couldn't record, just standing in front of that orchestra, and, you know, was was wonderful just to hear back what you wrote with with not just 52 musicians but 52 of the best musicians in the world so in so many times that you get in and you say okay guys here we go and you do it and it's perfect right the first time through you go hmm i got you know geez, that only took two minutes and i got three hours in. <laughs> uh, and so then you, then you say god that was really great guys let's let's do it one more time you know so that was, uh, I've been in, the, in a lot of studios in my life, but that was uh, certainly the highlight. A lot of people would like to have a break like that. And I've just met so many wonderful people. And, you know, and being the age I am, that uh, you know, I've worked with, I used to conduct for George Burns, and I, I, I knew all the old vaudeville guys. I worked with Sammy Davis before he was Sammy Davis. Wow. With uh, Will Maston Trio featuring Sammy. And uh, so I've really had a long career. And, uh, you know, I got in it when, before there was tape, you know, they were doing kinescopes. When I did the Como show, we, was, we did that on kinescope. And I've had some funny experiences at Disney with dealing with young people, you know, that had had I got called in to do a show for Japan, and I walked in this room, and I swear the two guys sitting there couldn't have been more than twelve years old. I, mean, <laughs> I swear man, they were the youngest guys I'd ever seen, and they were going to do this show that featured the uh, genie 
and then two two live people on stage, but they had this 3D genie on the on a big screen, and the genie was going to come out of the screen, you know, with uh, 3D glasses on, and work with these two guys on the stage, and they were going to rent a huge studio and a uh, an incredible computer system to put this through and i'm and i'm sitting there and I'm, and they have no idea who i am you know i was brought in i was freelancing then anyway i said yeah well you know i used to do tv <laughs> and we'd come in with a rehearsal pianist and the choreographer would say give me something like about eight bars or something like that and so the piano player would do that, and he'd move the people, and then, okay, I need something that goes, and then the piano player would write that in on the sketch and everything, and and then, you know, I need 14 more bars, I got to get them from there to there, and the guy would, you know, piano player, and the choreographer would work it out, and, you know, and we'd be out of there in an hour, and then uh, somebody would come in and orchestrate it, you know, and that would be, and then we'd be on the air Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> and these kids just looked at me like I was some kind of maniac. And, the, and, they, and then they took me off the project because uh, I hadn't done the movie. They thought that, uh, I can't remember who did the the, uh, the movie, but they ended up hiring him. But that's the way they did, that's where they ended up uh, putting it together, was how I had suggested you there? Amazing. Yeah, I'm still here. No, it's amazing. Yeah, okay. I was uh, I was just enjoying listening um, to the to the story, but um, no, I was going to say I I definitely um, you know on on behalf of of anyone who's everyone is listening, just thank you for for all the work you had done over all the years, and uh, and for taking the time for this discussion. And I sincerely hope you continue writing as well, and uh, yeah, hopefully we we'll get to listen to it. Okay. Well, it's my- <laughs> My pleasure. I had a Thank lot of you, fun George. talking to you. Same here. Thanks so much, George. Okay. Bye-bye. And with that, we close out episode 86 of the Imagineer podcast. I want to give a very special thank you once again to George Wilkins for coming onto the show and talking about his experiences, all these amazing stories about what it was like to work at Walt Disney Imagineering. He worked on so many incredible projects, and I love the fact that he got to work with people like Marty Sklar, Kevin Rafferty, the Sherman Brothers, Buddy Baker, so many incredible former Walt Disney Imagineers and composers. Of course, I want to turn the conversation over to you and learn of all of George Wilkins' work, which I know is quite a lot. Which is your favorite? You can send me your answers and feedback in so many different ways, and be sure to follow us as well on these social media channels, including Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and LinkedIn at Imagineer Podcast on Twitter at Imagineer News, and you can also join our Facebook group, The Imagination, also called The Imagineer Podcast Disney Fan Community, to chat not just with me, but with other members of The Imagineer Podcast community about this episode and so many other Disney topics. If you don't already subscribe to the show, be sure to hit that subscribe or follow button, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or 
any other podcast app, which will ensure that you are the first to know when new podcast episodes become available. And if you have five seconds to leave us a rating in the Apple Podcast Store and 30 or 60 seconds, however long it takes to write us a review, also in Apple Podcasts or on Facebook. It does so much to help to continue to grow our community. I am so thankful that we have about 400 five-star reviews of Imagine Your Podcast so far. And a thank, huge thank you to all of you who have taken the time to write a review. I do read each and every single one of them and often will share them to my Instagram and Facebook story. I so greatly appreciate it. Of course, if there's anything you would like to hear in terms of future episodes, Episodes, be sure to reach out to me and let me know whatever feedback you might have, things you'd like to hear on future episodes of the show. You can reach out to me on social media or send me an email at imagineyourpodcast at gmail.com. One of the best things you could do for the show is also to share it, whether you share out your favorite episode of Imagine Your Podcast, if you share out a social media post uh, on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or any other social media app, or just talk about it with your friends, everything you do to share Imagine Your podcast does so very much for the show and if you would like to take your love of imagineer podcast one step further definitely look into imagineer society which you can learn more about by going to patreon.com slash imagineer podcast patreon is spelled p-a-t-r-e-o-n or you can simply go to imagineerpodcast.com and click on the uh, shop drop down and then you'll see imagineer society listed there but in short imagineer society is a way that you can help to support the show financially and in return get perks benefits rewards so many perks including things like private access to a private facebook group my close friends list on instagram early access to every podcast episode and access to my podcast production notes bonus podcast episodes just for Imagineer Society members, monthly video calls, and I'm always throwing in bonuses and surprises here and there for Imagineer Society members. And again, you can learn all about it by going to patreon.com slash Imagineer Podcast. Membership starts at literally just $1 a month. Of course, the more you can donate, though, the more it does support the show and the more rewards you get in return for your membership. And be sure to check out our partners. First, look into The Kingdom Insider over at thekingdominsider.com or The Kingdom Insider on any social media channel because Christy has so much incredible information to share. She has been still traveling to Disney during this time and traveling quite often at that, sharing so many updates, what it's been like to go to Disney. Beyond that, she shares some incredible tips and not th only things like how to enjoy your vacation at Disney, including Walt Disney World, Disneyland, Disney Cruise Line, and other destinations, but also how to bring the magic of Disney into your own home. And what I love most about Christy, probably the best selling point, is when it comes to Disney news, she only shares confirmed information. None of these, you know, spewing rumors or false information and making them factual. No, it is everything that is true and confirmed by Disney. If there is a rumor, she will definitely label it as a rumor very clearly. And it's one of the things I love about the Kingdom Insider. So definitely check her out. And I would also encourage you to look into our travel partner, Academy Travel. The next time you are ready to book your next vacation to Walt Disney World, Disneyland, Disney Cruise Line, Adventures by Disney, Aulani, or any other Disney destination around the world, Academy Travel can help you to plan out your next vacation, which at this point is more complicated than it's ever been, but they can do so at no additional 
cost to you. And I work with them because they've been doing this for over 25 years and are diamond earmarked, which is the highest level of distinction that Disney awards to travel agencies can offer an incredible level of service, help you to save money on your next Disney vacation, and again, do it at no additional cost to you. You can request a free quote, no obligation, by clicking on the links in the description of this podcast episode, or quite simply, go to imagineyourpodcast.com, click on the travel dropdown, and fill out one of those forms, depending on your destination, and they will get back to you as soon as possible with a free quote, again, no obligation for your next Disney vacation. Last but not least, I hope you are doing everything you possibly can to go after your hopes, your dreams, your goals, whatever they might be. 2020 isn't the easiest year, but that doesn't mean you need to be sitting on the sidelines. Take action today to still go after those goals and those dreams. Go and make them a reality. And remember, as always, that inspiring quote from Horizons. If you can dream it, you can do it. Thank you so much for listening to the show, and we'll see you again in a future episode of the Imagineer Podcast. Space colonies are out of this world. Let's take a quick look around.